Uh, that song really means a lot to me. Um, and it, it really cannot be sung lightly. And it's based right upon the text out of Job that uh, James referenced a moment ago. Uh, you give, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. And sometimes in the taking away, we don't get it. Why, why would you take that away? I thought you wanted me to have that, to experience that, to be that. Why, why would you take that away? And life gets crazy in those kinds of moments for followers of Christ. Life gets very perplexing. And I want us to talk about that for a few moments. And I'm especially thinking about this in light of the journey that we've been on for these weeks as we've been talking about going deeper with God. And especially since yesterday when uh, about 65 of us gathered right here in this room for a solemn assembly. Because there's this sense of God being at work. There's this sense of God stirring a movement. There's this sense of God uh, desiring to manifest himself with power. And a transforming work. And even though we have that sense, it may not play out Monday morning for us the way that we're anticipating or hoping or praying. And so what are we to do with that? How do we make sense of that? Well, I think some of our forefathers give us some clues, give us some help. And it wasn't altogether clear to them. They kind of grappled their way through it all. And that's what I'm inviting us to do today. And so we're going to take a little Old Testament journey, first of all, to look at Jacob. And I'll be reading some verses from chapter 32 in a moment if you want to open your Bible and, and read along with me. But uh, for those of you that know a little bit of your Jewish history, you know that, that God met up with a guy by the name of Abraham and made a covenant with him. And out of that covenant, out of that agreement, uh, a whole nation was to come. And that promise was carried on to Abraham's son, Isaac, and it was carried on again from Isaac's son, Jacob. Now, that didn't happen easily because Jacob wasn't the oldest son, and it should the promise should have gone to the oldest son, Esau. And you know the story. And uh, the interesting thing about Jacob, his name itself means trickster or supplanter. Uh, and so the guy totally lives up to his name. He deceives his father into a blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. And he tricks his brother out of his birthright. And he gets into a, an ungodly kind of alliance with his mother to uh, secure some things for himself and for his future from his father. And so you get to this point in Jacob's life where... Um, he has wheeled and dealed so much that he's sideways in every relationship he's got. Oh, and by the way, God's not even a part of his life. God is like this absent thing. Can you imagine being the grandson of Abraham and the son of Isaac, the two great patriarchs of the faith, and God is absent from your life? 
And so, uh, in consultation with his mother, Rebecca, and with his, his father, Isaac, uh, they come to this conclusion. He probably should get out of Dodge, right? He, he needs to get out of here. And so, he, they live way down south in a place called Beersheba. And uh, they said, why don't you go all the way back to our former land, Haran, in Potomaran? And there we've got other family, and, and your mother's got family, and... Um, I, why don't you go up there and take a wife? Don't, don't take a wife from any of the women down here in this Canaanite area. Uh, go up there and take a wife from our people. And so he begins to make this long journey. And as uh, we follow him along, he uh, ends up staying the night after a very long day's travel. And he uh, stays the night at this kind of nondescript place. And he kind of pulls this stone over to lean against and recline and to sleep. And he has a dream. You remember about this dream that Jacob had? And in it, this ladder begins to appear. And in Jacob's dream, he begins to see angels. And they're uh, ascending from earth back to heaven and descending from heaven to earth. And, And they're just in this constant motion up and down this ladder back and forth. And this, this dream has a powerful impact upon him. And uh, God speaks to him in this dream. And God says, I'm going to bless you. I am going to carry on the promise that I gave to Abraham, that I gave to Isaac. I'm going to carry that on with you. And you will likewise be the father of a great nation. And your descendants will be as numerous as the sand upon the seashore. Same kind of promise he'd given Abraham. And... Jacob is so taken with this experience and with this moment that he awakens and he says, God was in this place and I didn't even know it. And I resonate with that so much and I think many of us can resonate with that a great deal because God is so often with us in in you know, very powerful kinds of ways, and we're clueless. God is in this place, and I knew it not. And in this very moment, God is in this place. And some of you get that, some of you are stirred, some of you are wide awake to that, and some of you don't get that. Some of you, you well, maybe in some kind of abstract, weird, you know, who knows if it's really true or not kind of way, he is here. And so Jacob named the place Bethel, which means house of God, because he he was like, it was right here that, that God was and met with me. Now, as profound an experience as that is, you think there would be references to that all throughout the Old Testament. There is never another reference to Jacob's ladder, if you will, and to Jacob's dream in the rest of the Old Testament. As big and profound of of an experience as that was. However, when you turn a page and get into the New Testament, it appears again. You remember the story? When Jesus is beginning to call his disciples, he decides that one of his disciples will be a guy by the name of Nathaniel. And he tells Philip to go and get Nathaniel who is sitting under a fig tree and bring him to him. And when Nathanael comes to Jesus, Jesus declares, Behold, a true Israelite. There's nothing false 
about this guy. And Nathaniel looks at Jesus kind of in a puzzled way and he says, do you know me? I mean, how do you know I'm a true Israelite and there's nothing false about me? And Jesus said, oh, I knew that even before I could see you under the fig tree. Well, okay, so how did you see me under a fig tree? Because you weren't around. And Jesus said, listen to this, don't be amazed at that. Because the day will come when you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on me. And he basically just said in that moment, I'm Jacob's ladder. I am the bridge between this fallen, broken world and the glories of heaven. All the activity of God moves up and down on me. And when you reflect on that New Testament piece of the picture, that that jigsaw piece that comes into the picture, it takes you back and you go, just what did Jacob see? How much did God allow that man to see right then and there in that moment? Now, some of us have had some moments over these last few weeks. Some of us had some moments yesterday where we had our our hearts just quickened, just enlivened. And we've been able to, to get some glimpses. Oh, I think God wants to do this. I think God is moving in that way. I think he's inviting me to join him in, in such a way. And if you have glimpses, then let that carry your heart. Let that uh, bring direction to your steps. That's exactly what happened to Jacob. That's what happened in uh, various men and women of God through the scriptures. But I want you to, to watch what happens in these unfolding chapters as he begins to allow his heart to trust God, believe God, and follow dreams that God is giving him. So he gets on up to Iran, and he is uh, with his... Uh, Uncle Laban's family, and he begins to uh, work there and, and make a living there. And along the way, he meets this gal, Rachel, that he is just smitten with. He just falls in love with her. He's just, the, the scriptures say, you know, he looked at her and just started weeping. Can you imagine? I just don't even know what that means. And he, he tells Laban... <laughs> I guess we'll talk at home later. I'm going to find out what that means. I'm going to tell you next week. Let us pray. Okay. So talking about Jacob. Is the air working in here? So he, he tells Laban, I want to marry Rachel, and, and what, what do I have to do to be able to marry your daughter? And you know the story. Uh, Laban says, you work for me for seven years, and I'll give you my daughter's hand in marriage. Okay? Seven years. So he says, okay, no problem. And he works for him for seven years, and when the seven years are up, he was like, that was nothing. That was like a day. I'm so ready to marry this woman. They had this big wedding feast and, and this big wedding party, and apparently there was a lot of wine at the party because... Uh, It's his wedding night, and he goes into the tent to be with uh, Rachel, his new wife, and Laban has slipped his older daughter Leah into the tent instead, and he consummates his marriage with not Rachel. And the next day when he awakens, 
He's like, what? What happened here? And long story short, Laban had tricked the trickster and said, you know, I can't give away my younger daughter until my older daughter has been taken care of. And so uh, you'll have to work for me another seven years to get Rachel. Well, I, I would have been creating some kind of war at that, part, at that point. But, but uh, uh, Jacob agrees to that and he works another seven years and he finally gets Rachel's hand. He's got, uh, you know, uh, two wives and all their servants and he's beginning to amass this wealth. And he arranges this kind of payment thing that he's going to have with Laban so that he can uh, acquire more wealth and then leave and go back to Beersheba and to uh, his family with Isaac and Esau and so on like that. Well, Laban tricks him again about his payment. And he's, he's trying to rip him off. But God keeps blessing Jacob anyway. And his wealth continues to build even though Laban is ripping him off. So a couple more years pass, and Jacob stealthily leaves in the middle of the night with his wives, with all of his children, with all of his wealth, and they began to flee to the south and to leave Laban, right? So uh, three days later, Laban discovers that Jacob has taken off and taken off with his daughters and taken off with all of his wealth, and he sets into hot pursuit. Right. And so he chases. It takes him several days to catch up with Jacob. But he finally does catch up with Jacob and they kind of work this thing out. It looked like it was going to be a big standoff. But God intervened and spoke into Laban's life. Said, don't you mess with this boy. He's mine. And so Laban backs off and Jacob is free to go on. Now, here's where the story takes another turn. They get, you know, almost halfway home. And they're about to cross the Jabbok River. And Jacob sends all of his stuff and all of his children and, and wives across the river. And he lingers on the front side of the Jabbok, for whatever reason, by himself. And he's there staying the night by himself with all of his entourage on the other side of the river. And that's where he has this other mysterious encounter. Because in the middle of the night, this man suddenly shows up and begins to fight with him and begins to wrestle with him, begins to grapple with him. And they wrestle all night. And one is not prevailing over the other all night. And then finally, the man reaches somehow and pops into the hip of Jacob in such a way that he dislocates Jacob's hip. And he's obviously prevailing, but Jacob won't let go of the guy. And here's where we pick up with the story. And if you want to read with me in Genesis 32, we'll pick up at verse uh, 27. So uh, now this man is demanding that Jacob let him go because he's one. And Jacob won't let him go. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Verse 27. And he said to him, well, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? 
And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Now, what in the world is all that? There's a lot of significance in this, I want your name, what's your name deal. Because to uh, get the name of the other person was to, in, in essence, to have said, uncle, I quit. I submit. You win. And so uh, uh, this man, as it were, actually turns out to be an angel. Turns out to be a messenger of God. And Jacob has been, in effect, wrestling with God all night. And uh, God prevails. God always prevails. God never loses. We have to let that sink in. And so uh, Jacob's still holding on. He's just not going to let go, even though he's, he's not won the contest. And this angelic being says, you will let me go. And he says, no, you must bless me. And so he, he says, okay, what's your name? And he gets Jacob's name. And here's the blessing. He changes his name. Now, in Hebrew ways of thinking and living, you know, the name was way more significant than what we ascribe to names today. Today, a name is like a tag that we put on somebody so that we know everybody's not just, hey, you. You know, everybody's got like a tag. But in those days, the name was very symbolic of the person, of the essence of the person. And so now his name is Israel. And, of course, that becomes the name of the whole country that comes out of Jacob, which means wrestles with God. Is that interesting? And, of course, Jacob, still trying to, you know, gain some kind of upper hand, says, well, then what's your name? And he said, no, it doesn't work that way. You don't get that. You don't get the upper hand on me. This is not a draw. Uh, the only win you have is that you survived. You didn't lose your life in this. And then Jacob is able to go and join up with his family and they head on south and he meets back up with his brother Esau. And that's another whole story. But here's the deal. Jacob had had an encounter with God. He began to reconnect his life with God in ways that had been absent for a long time. God began to bring some direction into Jacob's life. Jacob began to allow that vision to give direction to how his life would go. And then this vision kept taking detours. This vision, kept, I mean, he spent 20 years slaving for his father-in-law you know he was just going to go up there and get a wife and come back and he spent 20 years up there what have you ever had a 20-year detour have you ever had a 20-year wandering in the ways of what you thought god was leading your life okay i have and here's what i think our takeaway is When we are in a relationship with God, it is a part of His sanctifying work on us, right? 
This, this whole series has been about how does God make us holy? How does he make us separate and distinct from the culture and the world and unto himself? How does he do that? And part of his sanctifying work happens in us when we wrestle with him. When we grapple with him. And we don't win. But it was important for us to grapple with him nonetheless. Something changes in us. More substantive for us than a name change. It's a heart change. It's a disposition change. Attitudinal change. It is a, a power from within kind of change. And I will suggest to you that in the coming days, coming weeks, months, years... Some of the things that we think we're seeing now, some of the things that we think God's stirring and moving in us now may have some detours along the way, may have some perplexing moments along the way. And we're left scratching our head and we're left maybe, left, uh, maybe getting uh, sideways with God or angry with God and we start wrestling with God. You know, I, I told some of you yesterday, I spent virtually all of 2009 wrestling with God. I was so sideways with him about a number of things. And I am at a better place with him today because of 2009. Well, part of our reflection today has been on the person of Job. And I'm not going to spend much time here because you already know a lot of the story. But here is a truly righteous man. God said so. That wasn't Job's assessment or somebody else's. God said, most righteous man alive, Job. And yet, all kinds of calamity began to fall upon Job. Job had, had, had all these blessings. Family, uh, material wealth, uh, reputation and prestige in the community. Had all these blessings. And then it all begins to disappear. For, and as far as Job is concerned, for no good reason. He hadn't done anything. Nothing had changed in his lifestyle. And so he begins this incredible suffering. Right? Because of all this loss, he loses ten children and all of their spouses and all their children and all these houses and all this livestock is stolen and, and other forces come in and, and wipe him out. And then his body gets assaulted with boils. Now, you know the rest of the story. There was a heavenly cosmic battle going on between God and Satan. And so there was this whole kind of drama thing going on behind the curtain that Job didn't have any clue about. All Job knows is what's going on in his world, and it's awful. And he, you know, has these friends that are telling him, well, you, you must have screwed up somewhere. You must have sinned somewhere. That's the only way you can answer, you know, how much has befallen you. And he's, I didn't do anything. And so finally he turns to God. And he turns to God, not just with questions, but with accusations. And he is like... God, this is not right. This is unjust. You've got some answering to do for all this. You ever feel like that? You ever want to or do say those kinds of things to God? We, we have precedence for that. I'm not saying that you get arrogant. But I'm saying that you get earnest and honest and you're coming clean before God. See, there's a real difference between Jacob and Job that we're talking about today and Uzzah and Abihu and Nadab that we were talking about last time. 
Those guys had different issues and arrogance was going on and haughtiness was going on and so on like that. Presumption. But that's not what's going on with Jacob and with Job. And so, in response, God doesn't answer any of Job's questions. He had a list of them. In response, he gives Job his own list of questions. Who do you think you are? What do you have to do with creating this world? Have you ever made the sun come up or the sun go down? Have you ever made the earth rotate? Have you ever brought anything to life? Have you ever been able to cause the, uh, the majesty of all these things to take place as they have? Of course, no, 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 no. And then, okay, next question. And uh, Job gets to a point where he says, okay, gag me. I shouldn't even have opened my mouth. I'm sorry. You're exactly right. And he repents. My friends, these are the kinds of things that happen in the relationship between God and God's people. Those that are in covenant with God, those that are doing life with God. Hebrews 4.14 says it this way. Since then, we have a great high priest. Since Jesus has bridged that gap between us and the Lord. Since we have such a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. What's our confession? That God is real, that God is good, that God is love, that God has relationship with us, that God is our Redeemer and Savior, that God is our life. Let us hold to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. With our weaknesses. But he's one who in every respect has been tempted. He knows all about the life experience. He lived it. He knows all about the life experience. Yet he did so without sin. So let us then with confidence. Draw near. To the throne of grace. Some translate that word confidence. Boldness. Surety. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So let me just shoot straight for a minute. We've just celebrated with Todd and Bree the successful heart transplant that their son Hayden has experienced, right? And God is good. We can see that because all of the success with the surgery. But what if the surgery had not been a success? And what if instead today we were sharing with you the news that Hayden had gone on home to heaven? So here's where Job came out on all this. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His wife is like, how can you say that? After we've lost all that we've lost, you're sitting there in, in this boiled, covered kind of mess. Why don't you just curse God and die? No, 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 no. The Lord gives 
and the Lord takes away. Blessed be his name. The Lord moves in our, in our lives in ways that brings delightful kinds of blessings. And the, the Lord moves about in ways that brings about painful stuff we would never choose to go through. Blessings. And most of you know that when I was a child, I lost my younger brother to a sudden cerebral hemorrhage when he was 10 I would never want to go through that. I would never want you to go through that. You know, these decades later, I can see what a blessing it was and continues to be for many of us that knew my brother and lived and loved my brother to have had him the way we had him and to have experienced God in the years since that we've lost him. Will you turn to God with your perplexities? You see, our tendency, stuff gets really, really hard, turn away from God. Turn our back on God. Forget God. It's not working for me to do it with God. That not working is my will. In your perplexities, you've got a health perplexity, a financial, a relational, a career, whatever. Will you turn to him, not as the great fixer in the sky? He might fix it. He might not. He might take you through some very difficult chapters because he knows what the rest of the story is. And this is the plot line. A plot line that brings glory and manifestation to Him and changes us as we grapple with it all. Will you become a wrestler with God? Turn to Him and let Him know your disappointment, your frustration, your anger. I mean, He already knows it. Articulate it. Be real with Him. Will you risk God changing your life? Let's pray. So, Father, it's my sense that what we've talked about today is going to be more important to someone here down the road. And I pray that you'd press the truth of the scriptures and of your personhood into our hearts. And that we'd be able to hold on to that truth and that we'd be able to live that truth in the days to come. But some of our friends are in pressing moments right now. And it calls into question your goodness or your power or your plan. And it gets us sideways with you. And I pray that with mercy and with grace, you would draw near 
to us and allow us to draw near to you and wrestle and grapple this thing out. In Jesus' name, amen.